Welcome to Paddling the Blue. With each episode, we talk with guests from the Great Lakes and around the globe who are doing cool things related to sea kayaking. I'm your host, my name is John Chase, and let's get started Paddling the Blue. Welcome to today's episode of Paddling the Blue. So today I have the opportunity to feature Dimitri Vandepula. And if you're active on the internet, you've probably seen Dimitri's videos, his reviews, and his crazy antics with his North Sea Kayak paddling team. Dimitri is a great ambassador for the sport of sea kayaking, and he really uses his social media presence to deliver a message of fun, preparedness, and of course, excitement on the water. So today, Dimitri is going to share the story of his crossing of the North Sea. So here we go. Enjoy the interview. Hello, Dimitri. Thank you for joining us today. Hello, John. Oh, wonderful. I've been looking forward to the opportunity for us to talk. So, Dimitri, tell us a little bit about your personal paddling history. Well, uh, I started paddling um, 13 years ago, and uh, one of the first things I've done was uh, go to um, a kayak club over here in, in Belgium, and I asked okay, uh, to the guy I met over there, okay, I wanted to start sea kayaking. And, well, the guy just laughed and said, oh, no, we, we don't sea kayak over here in Belgium. Uh, you're, you're crazy. We just paddle on, on the canals. I said, okay, that, that's weird. So I looked for another guy in the same club and I got the same, the same answer. That's, that's probably where our story began because I, at that point I had two choices or search another sport like running or cycling or say, okay, no, I'm going to start by myself. And that's how our uh, North Sea kayak story began. In the early days, we had no experience, we had no backup, there was nobody to help us out. And we started the first five years with a sit-on-top kayak, just in order to get to know the sea and the tidal streams and, and the effect of the weather on the water. And after those five years, we switched to um, well, uh, a classic sea kayak, a closed cockpit sea kayak. And then we started training on, on self-rescues with that type of kayak, on learning how to paddle a kayak the right way, because we didn't do that with, the, with our sit-on-top kayaks there. They're too wide. And with the years going on, we build up confidence and a lot of skills. And the reason why I, I told you we went to the club where we got no help at all is also the reason why we started a YouTube channel uh, where we share our knowledge with other kayakers. And that's also the reason why now we, we also coach other people around. During the years, we also we started by paddling shorter trips along the coast and then build up to offshore trips that, that are bringing us 30, 40, 50 kilometers away from, from the shore. By now we try to reach as much sea kayakers as possible. We try to share our knowledge, give tips, uh, make hopefully interesting videos and we try to, to highlight our sport to, to others. Well, I know I, I've always enjoyed your content on YouTube and Facebook. It's always been, been fun to watch. Out of oh, curiosity, yeah, out, out, out of curiosity, why doesn't why why wasn't sea kayaking a thing in Belgium? Well, it started to change because I'm talking uh, 13 years ago. Uh, by now, there are a few, not many, a few clubs who started sea kayaking as well. But I don't know, uh, Belgium is a small country. We only have, well, we have less than 70 kilometers of shoreline and, and it's a straight shoreline. So there are no rocks, uh, there are no tidal races over here. And that's really a challenge for us. Uh, during the years, we found other ways um, to train on things. For I'm gonna give you an example. Uh, just said there are no tidal races over here. So normally you cannot train on breaking in and out of fast flowing water um, the thing we invented here was to train near the locks we have a one of the biggest yacht harbors the harbor of newport over here and if they put open the locks well it's like a tidal race but a, a really fast one um, and so we, we train over here 
It's the same with close quarters maneuvering, like you would do during rock hopping. We don't have rocks over here, so we do that in the harbor. Um, along the boats, uh, we search for places where there's well, where there's not a, a lot of room to maneuver your kayak around. But it's still well, sea kayaking. It's still not a very well known sport over here. But we try to make a, a difference. Well, when when you lack the resources, you create them on your own. So that's an interesting uh, interesting way to go about it. So we're, uh, you mentioned 30, 40, 50 kilometers offshore. So uh, one of the things that we wanted to talk about today was your crossing of the North Channel. So tell us a little bit about that trip. Well, the, the first thing to tell, it's, it's not the channel because a lot of people are mistaking the North Sea for the, the channel. So if, you have, if you're not familiar with the, the area over here, you have the, the United Kingdom, the UK, and you have the mainland. And the, the shortest way to get from the mainland to the UK by sea kayak would be from France, from Calais, that's a coastal village, to Dover in the UK. And that will take you about five to six hours if you're really a fast paddler. And that will take you over a distance of about 30 to 35 kilometers. That was my first goal. And um, I started looking around. And very fast, I noticed you need permission to do that. Permission from the France government um, to take on the crossing. And one of the, the things you really need is a, a boat that's, that, um, that guides you through the, the, the small um, channel. Um, it costs a lot of money. Uh, we're not sponsored at that time. And I said by myself, okay, I'm not going to do a channel crossing like uh, like a lot of swimmers are do are doing i really want to do a north sea crossing now when you want to do a north sea crossing you don't start in france you start in belgium um, and you don't end up in dover but you end up um, more to the north to make a good comparison of it uh, i mentioned that the channel crossing is about 30 to 35 kilometers the North Sea crossing, the, and I crossed the southern part of the North Sea, that's in a straight line, 100 and kilometers. So that's, that's a big difference. It also brings you in open water. It, it's really offshore. If you just cross the channel and you look behind you, you see the land. When you look in front of you, you also see the land. When you do the North Sea crossing, after a few hours of paddling, you just see the water all around and that's the difference i did the north sea crossing a uh, first time uh, i started from the harbor the newport harbor it's the fourth coastal village starting from the french border to belgium and i paddled in oh, i wouldn't say a straight line but as straight as possible towards the harbor of ramsgate which is uh, in the uk of course in straight line, if you look at the map, it's 100, about 100 uh, kilometers. But due to the very strong tidal streams in that area, it took me uh, 107 kilometers to reach the, the other side. More detail, details about it. Um, I, I did two North Sea crossings, actually one in 2015, the other in 2018. Both times I chose to do the crossing during spring tide. I chose that uh, for two reasons. First reason, I only do the crossing when the weather is good. If the weather is uh, above force three to four, don't start because it's, it's too dangerous to do it. So good weather, spring tide, that means that you have a full moon. I start during the night and I need to paddle the whole night without without stopping, which means that I can see all around. I have a, a way better visibility when there's a full moon. That's the first reason. And the second reason is you can split up the whole tra trajectory into three parts. Now the first part, um, of course, it's it's still in Belgian and a piece in French waters. I start uh, against the tide. So if you have a look at the, the map of the North Sea, you will see that 
mostly the tidal stream uh, flows in the same direction as the land. So the first six, roughly six hours, I paddle against the current because the current on the Belgian side, on the side of the mainland, is um, not so strong as the current on the UK side. Then you have the second part, which includes the crossing of the shipping lane in the middle. There I have the tidal stream in my back, so I can take the benefit of the, um, of the tidal stream at that point. And then you have a third part where you have the tidal stream in your side, which needs a lot of compensation. You need to compensate between 35 to 45 degrees in order to get to the harbor of Ramsgate, which is a lot, really a lot. And that, that's about, about it regarding tidal stream and the reason why I chose to go on this journey during springtide. All right. So uh, were, now were you solo on these two journeys? Yes, okay. indeed. I was uh, solo and unsupported. Um, now, if you have a look at the, um, the website, Sea Kayak Performance, that's a website that keeps track of all sorts of sea kayak related journeys, mostly records. I, I had a look at the website before starting my own journey and I saw, okay, it was done a few times before me, the crossing of the North Sea. And I said to myself, okay, uh, I want to do something that, that is, well, I'm not going to say better, but I want to, um, I'm not sure how to put it. I want to pull this North Sea crossing to the next level. And the thing I noticed that the people who are before me paddled, um, always paddled in a team. So two up to four people. And it was most of the times with a support vessel that aided them. So I, uh, I thought by myself, okay, if I want to do this better, I do it alone and without uh, the support of a ship. Yeah, that's certainly upping the game quite a bit. Yeah, indeed. It's totally different because I uh, had someone in my team, Vincent, who trained with me during uh, the years uh, that we were, um, well, that we were training uh, to do this this crossing. Um, and at the last possible moment, uh, he couldn't join me, so that that was the reason uh, why I, I did it alone. Now, um, boat traffic. So you mentioned a lot of boat traffic. How did you go about nav- uh, yeah, negotiating that boat traffic? One of the first things I did um, to prepare myself for this journey was paying the Coast Guard over here in Belgium a visit. I still remember it as it was yesterday. I was going to the captain of the Coast Guard and uh, I said to her, okay, I'm, uh, I told her what my plans were. And one, of the, one of the first things that she said to me uh, was okay, uh, Dimitri. Uh, it's very nice of you that you want to cross the North Sea, but I won't allow it. I will not give you permission. And I looked at her and I said, Okay, um, I'm not here to ask for permission. I'm going to cross the North Sea with or without your permission. And it was silence for a few seconds. I said to her, Okay, the reason why I don't come to ask for your permission is because there is no permission needed to do the crossing. And then I handed over a list to her. I had a list with me with all the equipment I carry with me on all my trips. So not only on the, on the North Sea crossing, but also on, on all my other trips, whether it is surfing or, or rock hopping or whatever. And she took a few minutes to, to have a look at the list. And she looked back at me and she said, okay, I'm not going to hold you back. You have my blessing, go on. And she also gave me the, um, the email ad- address of the Dover Coast Guard uh, to take contact. And, and so the preparations started about the traffic, which was your question, uh, of course, about the traffic. Um, the North Sea is known to be one of the busiest um, seas in, in the whole world. It has one of the, the busiest shipping lanes. Uh, all of the, the the traffic must go to the, the narrow gap between Dover and, and Calais, which I mentioned before. And it has a, a few thousands of ships every 24 hours, which is a lot. If somebody tells you that, that's really, really a lot. 
And now during my two crossings, during the first the first time I did uh, the crossing, I encountered two or three uh, big big ships at a distance of a few kilometers. So nothing to worry about. And uh, the second crossing in, in 2018, it was the same. <laughs> um, yeah, very weird. Yeah, uh, so there are thousands of ships go through there every day, and you just happen to yeah. to pick the window that you see two or three. Yeah, yeah, it, it's yeah. I had luck. I think I had luck, um, but still, the the shipping lane, and you can see that if, if you you take a map of the North Sea, it's like it's like a highway divided in in two. Uh, one for the ships that that um, sail to the to the northeast and one for the opposite direction. Uh, each each section is a, has a width of five kilometers. So if you want to cross it, you, you really need to, to pick up the pace in order to cross it as fast as possible. But I had luck. There were no vessels in my vicinity. That's That's fantastic. So what would you have done to make yourself known, I guess? Yeah, there was a lot of ships, let's say. How would you have uh, negotiated that then? Yeah, to be honest, we did uh, an offshore trip as a preparation for the North Sea crossing, which also took us uh, over the shipping lane twice. And then we encountered a lot of big ships. They don't see us, even if you start waving or yelling or... <laughs> right. I think if I put on a flare, they wouldn't see me. Yeah, you're, <laughs> you're the... You're... You're the flea and the elephant. <laughs> yeah, indeed. And and they don't expect a kayaker over there. They expect other vessels. To, so they have a lookout on their radar. But but we are not visible to radar. I know that from the Coast Guard. Uh, we did a test with them. We're not visible on a radar. So the only thing that, that I keep in mind during all of my trips on the North Sea is that I have to anticipate the movement of the other ships around me. So I always, even if it's a smaller vessel, even if it's a sailing yacht, I always think, okay, they don't see me. It's up to me to to evade them. We're the we're the smallest one out there. The law of tonnage wins. Yeah. So if they're bigger than we are, we need to figure out how to get out of the way and stay out of the way. Yeah, yeah. It's it's really weird also because you have a website on on the internet that's called Ship AIS, and you can follow every big ship that has such a beacon on board and that was also one of the things i looked up a lot of times before taking on this crossing and you can see the the speed of the ships and those big big tankers oil tankers and and um, all the big things it they have a speed of, of around 30 to 40 kilometers an hour which is fast for, for that kind of a ship but still, you have a lot of time. If you see them coming, you still have a lot of time to evade them. So, yeah. so it's perfectly safe. Okay. I mean, uh, yeah, like you said, they, they move fast. I think people have a yeah. misconception that, well, it's a big boat. It's not going to move that fast. Yeah. Look out. Yes, it's moving indeed. a lot faster than you expect. Yeah, indeed, indeed. Um, but we never, never encountered any problems during all our trips. We mostly make sure that we calculate their course, uh, that we calculate our own course, and then we, we just evade, we hold back, or we, we paddle a bit faster, or we change direction. So why why this trip? Why did you say, I have to do this? Well, um, I sometimes, it's, it's not a bad thing, but I sometimes see other sea kayakers traveling around the world to do all sorts of crazy stuff, um, I thought by myself, okay, I'm living near the North Sea. It's it's from my house to the sea. It's about two kilometers. It's, it's a walk, it's a 10 minute walk. And with the car, two minutes. I thought by myself, okay, we have such a, a big body of water over here, the North Sea. Um, it, it's it's a, a very treacherous sea. Um, I say, okay, we, we have all the things we need over here to do an open crossing. Why should I go to the, the other side of the world? Uh, let's let's start here, and that's that's the reason. That's also one of the things that I thought during the five the first five years hmm, to England to the UK. And I, uh, some of my team members were laughing. Ah, it's not gonna happen. It's not gonna happen. Um, and during the the years, our 
perceptions changed, we got better, our skills uh, went up. Um, and that that's the reason. It's just two kilometers away from here. <laughs> so that's the reason why I chose this, this challenge. All right. So you did it once in 2015. Why did you say, I have to do it again? It's, it's a simple answer, in fact. It's, it's the attraction of that North Sea. We're not called for nothing North Sea kayak. It, it really has <laughs> such a huge, you cannot imagine it, it has a huge attraction knowing that there is a big island on the other side, the UK. It, it's, it's an attraction. Um, I did it twice, and <laughs> I never talk about future challenges, but there's a chance that I will do it again. It's 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 the sea that that calls me. I I cannot describe it in any other words. It's it's like the call of the North Sea. Was there something you were looking to see different out of that second trip? Like a were you trying to beat your first time or anything specific? Yes, to be honest, yes. Um, my first uh, trip I did with the PNH Scorpio, which is a, a very good classic polyethylene sea kayak. Um, the the second time I used a PNH Cetus, which is the um, the composite brother or sister of the Scorpio. It's a bit longer, it's a bit faster. So I thought by myself, okay, I'm going to do this trip again, and I'm going to do it faster. Well, I think we're wrong. Yeah. yeah, I was <laughs> so so wrong. The really? First, yeah, the first time in 2015, the conditions were perfect. But when I say perfect, really, really perfect. If you have the slightest bit of wind, it creates a lot of waves on top of the sandbanks. Um, there are two main areas during the crossing where there are sandbanks in the middle of the, the, the traffic uh, lane, the shipping lane. And then near, near, I say near, but it's still 20 kilometers offshore, uh, near the UK side, there's also a very treacherous area uh, with a lot of shipwrecks and, and the moment you, you have a little bit of wind and of course uh, with with the strong tidal current you have a lot of waves so the first time was perfect and the second time in 2018 I thought by myself okay I have a faster boat I'm, I'm, I have a lot of I did a lot of training I'm gonna do it faster no I didn't <laughs> the wind picked up a little bit only a little bit um, and by a little bit I mean it was I started with almost no wind and somewhere halfway the wind picked up to force three to four and when I tell this to to advanced sea kayakers with a lot of experience you're thinking okay that's that's nothing three to four that's that's really not not a lot no it's not a lot it's still manageable but it, the waves start picking up and your speed is going down and on such a large crossing it's it's really it's it's deadly for your uh, for your stamina it's it's really not good so i ended up doing the second time um, i think it took me a quarter or 20 minutes more than my first crossing <laughs> well certainly uh yeah, like you said, force three or force four isn't all that much. But when you say you're at 80k out of a 100k paddle and you're 20 something hours into the paddle, it's it's something. Yeah, yeah, indeed. Um, there's something that um, I have a video of both my trips, of both my crossings on our uh, YouTube channel. Um, one of the things uh, I really turned out my camera. Uh, the second time I went over the Goodwind Sands, that, uh, that is the area that is dangerous on the UK side. That was also the place where the winds started picking up. So I had force four on my left side, coming from the left, going to the right. And also a very strong tidal stream in the same direction. And when I say strong, it was spring tide. Um, it's about... <laughs> three up to four knots which is a lot yeah i had at, at a certain point i had to compensate just in order to paddle a straight line i had to compensate 40 to 45 degrees and i turned out my camera because i was yelling and cursing <laughs> i think i was still 20 kilometers offshore and they probably could hear me already cursing and swearing in the harbor of ramsgate i was ah <laughs> uh, it, it was really hard 
<laughs> it was really hard. So how long does it take you to do, to do the crossing? Um, and both times, uh, a bit more than 17 hours. Now, the first time, because I have, I had no experience at all with, with that kind of crossing, I looked at the, tam- the timetables of um, another crew that did the same crossing and a team. There were four. And with the, um, uh, with the vessel uh, that, that went along, and it took them nearly 24 hours. So the first time I thought by myself, okay, um, my, my wife uh, was my support crew. I told her, okay, uh, you can go to the UK by, by ferry uh, and you need to be there pff, within 20 to 24 hours. <laughs> and that, <laughs> that was funny and not, not so amusing for me. I came, I came into the harbor of, of Ramsgate and there was really nobody there <laughs> waiting for me. So I, I went on the slipway I still remember it like it was yesterday. I went on the slipway. I was dead tired. There were some fishermen uh, over there looking very weird to me. I was sunburned. I took out my kayak off the water. I had um, some food with me. I started eating. And then I I fell asleep on that same slipway for a few hours. (laughs) Can you imagine in, in, in a country all alone in the UK on a slipway? All by herself, I was sleeping, and suddenly I I heard my wife arriving. <laughs> she was hours later than I was, but we learned from it. And the second time, I said, "Okay, you better, you better um, take a, a few ferries earlier, <laughs> so that you're you're in time." That's that's quite a speed, seventeen uh, some odd hours. Yeah, it's it's fast. Um, I must say, uh, after my my first crossing, I got a lot of questions from fellow paddlers. Um, and the year after it, I had a, a visit of two paddlers from uh, from Spain who are also eager to do the crossing. And I said, okay, if you come over, we can do it together. But it's not me, and it's certainly not you that is going to decide whether we do the crossing or not. And they looked weird. I said, okay, no, it's the sea and it's the weather that decides. So they they come over to here. And it's a long, long drive from Spain to here with their car. And they were here for two weeks. And we didn't have the opportunity to, to do the crossing. So we did uh, something else. Um, we did the West Hinder Challenge. It's also an offshore trip that takes you away 32 kilometers from the shore. Also, with no support, you're on your own. Now, we did that successfully. Then the year after it, I was approached by a a German team of sea kayakers. And they they went over here to Belgium, to where I live. First time to to introduce themselves and and to say hi. They asked me for for help. They wanted to do the crossing. And I gave gave them the details, uh, what to look for, what the best opportunities are etc and when the time came uh, they came back to belgium to do the crossing i said to them okay uh, do you want me to join and they say okay but let's make one thing clear if we're not used to paddle together because i never met the guys but i only met them once and it was not for paddling they said okay um, but if we paddle at a different pace we should split up and i said okay uh, under these conditions, I'm fine by that. So on, on my second crossing, I started together, you can see it in the video on our YouTube channel, we started together, or I started together with the German team, uh, there were two, and after five, no, I think it was ten kilometers, we noticed that, that the pace was, was different. I paddled a little bit faster than they were. At a certain point I said, okay, we we're now taking a break, I told them, okay, if, if you take a break every hour, it, it only can take one minute. Because as I told you before, during the, the first six hours, it, it's a battle against the tide. They took five minutes for a break. And I was with them in that first part. And we, we took that break near a buoy. It was pitch black. And to get back after the five minutes break to the buoy, it cost us 15 minutes. And that was the point where they said to me, okay, this is not going to work. We have a different 
scenario in mind, then you have you, you go on and we, we paddle at our own pace. And now the, the thing of, of this story is it took them more than six hours more than my crossing. Not because they were so slow, no, but because they missed their window. I told them uh, if, if you paddle at a certain speed, you need to be over the shipping lane at a certain hour uh, before the, the tide starts um, turning to the other side. So they missed their window and the, uh, the thing we, we saw on their GPS feed afterwards, they were pushed offshore for hours and hours and they had to return. So they, they really had a, a much, much longer trajectory than I had. So that's that's the dangerous thing about about taking on this North Sea crossing. They're, they were fine. They, they had enough food. Uh, they weren't scared at all. Uh, in fact, they're, they're, they have calculations that, that were correct for their, their speed. But it's, it's really, it's it's a weird sea, the North Sea. It's, it's weird. So out of curiosity, do you know what the, the record is for that crossing in terms of time? You, you mean um, the, the one who took on the crossing uh, fastest? Yes. Um, well, you can find it on the Sea Kayak Performance website. Okay. And the, the record is uh, on my name. Uh-huh. But I must say, I must say, there are different types of crossings. There are people and teams who did a crossing that was even longer than mine. So it wouldn't be fair to say that I'm the fastest. However, the trajectory that I did uh, was done by the other team before me. And then I, I can say honestly that I'm the fastest one. But it has n- not everything has to do with your, your stamina and your condition. It also, you need to be a good navigator also. You need to pick out the, the right, exactly the right conditions. I waited two years to do this crossing, to be honest. Normally, I would have done it in 2014, but the conditions weren't right. So it, it it's not wise to put yourself in, in harm's way. Um, so I waited for another year. Yeah, there's an awful lot of pieces that have to line up just right in order to make that happen. Yeah, indeed. Uh, otherwise, it, it would be like committing suicide. Um, yeah. if, if you take on the, and I, I really mean that, that the North Sea is a really dangerous sea because it's shallow. Um, I told you before, if the wind picks up at the wrong place, uh, for example, on the sandbanks, then you can be in, in real trouble. Uh, certainly, uh, during such a long trip, I'm, I'm going to put it differently. If you are on the sandbanks during a trip started from the UK, then it can be real fun because it's like a tide race. You have standing waves and all, you can surf on them, it, it's fun. But when you have paddled for 80 kilometers and, and for 15, 16 hours, then it's exhausting. You understand the difference? Certainly. It's, yeah, that, that's, that's the reason why it's dangerous if you don't have the right skills and if you don't pick the right day with the right conditions. So how did you prepare and train for the trip? Well, I have um, three things that I, um, three levels of preparation. The first, everybody knows that, that's the physical part. Before my first crossing, I told myself, okay, I don't know how my body will react to this kind of a a crossing. So I wanted to do a trip in in the same distance. And uh, I did a trip to to France on my own, uh, to Gravelin, that's that's a coastal village in France. And I, um, when you do this trip from Belgium to France and back, it took me about 113 kilometers and I paddled for a bit less than 24 hours. And it was still, <laughs> you can see the video on our channel also, it was still in my sit-on-top kayak. So that's a very slow kayak, but I managed to do a trip on my own without support, but close to shore of 113 kilometers. And at that point I knew, okay, for myself, it's safe to do the crossing. Because during that preparation tour, um, so to speak, I also had a tidal stream with me and also a part against. 
Um, that's the first part, that, that's the physical part. You have to really make sure that you keep on training during the winter time in order to do the North Sea crossing during the summer. Um, all the rest are all different trips. I go out surfing, I go out with my team doing trips about 20, 30, 40 kilometers. But mostly I, I don't do trips that, that take me for, for uh, 100 kilometers away. Um, that's the first part. The second part is also important. Uh, the second part is the part where you should train on self-rescue, on navigation, and, and all the, the, the things that make you a good solo paddler. Because once you start on a crossing like that, there's nobody there to help you. Of course, if you're in real distress, you can always activate your personal locator beacon or, or call for help via the VHF radio. But normally there will be nobody there to help you. So if you capsize and your role fails for whatever reason, I have a good solid role, but I hate the word bomb proof role, then you, you must be able with, with even if you have paddled 80 kilometers and you're exhausted, you have to be able to perform a swift, solid, reliable self-rescue. So that's, that's the second part of the training. Also navigation. I started navigating during the first five years. That's uh, maybe a different approach, but with the GPS, because I didn't know any better. So the, the first five years I paddled on GPS. I didn't know how to use my sea chart or my compass. I didn't, I even didn't have a compass. It's a shame when I, I tell you this now, but I didn't have the knowledge. And with the years going on, I started starting to put my GPS away and started to navigate on map by compass, which I'm really good at by now. Um, and uh, it, it really helped me during the crossing because during my first crossing, I, uh, due to my high speed, I miscalculated it and I had to adapt, I had to change my sailing plan out on the spot. And you don't have a table like in a sailing yacht, so I had to do it manually on on the deck of my uh, of my kayak. So I was able to do in maybe one to two minutes to do a navigational switch, both on my GPS and on my map. And the only thing to do that in in one to two minutes is to train a lot by doing this during your regular trips, so using your compass, using your sea chart, using your GPS. So that's the second part of my training. And then the third part, and not a lot of people are thinking about this, the third part is the, the mental training. Uh, when you're out there, and it's, it's difficult to train on that, uh, but I, I paddled I did this North Sea crossing maybe a thousand times in my mind. You understand what I'm saying? Certainly, yeah. You, uh, yeah. Your, your brain will take you out of the game faster than yeah. your body. Yeah. The, yeah, you have to you have to done it in your mind before starting starting to do it for real, because it's a weird feeling. Some people ask me, didn't you felt lonely during the night during the whole crossing? I said, no, there's a difference. I, I was alone, but I didn't felt lonely. I, I can, I, I don't know if it makes sense, but I, I wasn't, I wasn't lonely. And, and, and some people are telling me, oh, I, I couldn't do that. I really need a companion to talk to. Well, <laughs> it's maybe funny, but I talked a lot to myself during the crossing. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe a good thing that I hadn't uh, had a microphone with me. <laughs> <laughs> so what did you enjoy most about the trip and what were your biggest challenges on the trip? Either one of the two. Well, I had two main things that, that really jumped out. That was the first thing that was really great about this trip uh, was the, the sunrise. I did this trip during the summer, so that the nights are short, but still you have to paddle for four to five hours in, in, the, in total darkness. And almost an hour before, before the sunrise, the, the light begins to come. The, you, you see the, the very, very nice colors of the sky, and then there's the sun. And I, 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 at that point, at sunrise, I stopped 
just to look at the sun that's something we see every day but but we don't we don't really look at it but when you're alone at sea it's it's really great also the um, it gives warmth when you paddle during the night uh, you have the same clothes on it, it's getting warmer it's it's getting more comfy to paddle and it's I, I don't know if i can explain it but it's it was really a great moment to see the the sunrise um that was the first real great moment during uh during the crossing the the second nicest thing was when you when you're paddling about 12 hours i think i started to think by myself oh no i'm i'm imagining it and after another few minutes i i look around i say no no it's not a, it's not my imagination i really can see the white cliffs of of uh, of the uk you have uh, near dover you have a lot of white cliffs and they're very high and at if, if the visibility is good you can see them at a distance of about 20 to 30 kilometers and that that was really a great thing to see the land again so that that were the two main things that that i, that I found really great about about this crossing uh, see the sun <laughs> at the at the beginning of the day and 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 see the the other side for the first time then again when you see the the cliffs of dover which is not my destination i need to go more to the north to ramsgate it's still 30 to 35 kilometers of paddling so that that were the the two most memorable things uh, even during the second crossing it, it was really great to, to to paddle into the light instead of, of during the night. And what were the what do you think those challenges were? The biggest challenges? Do you think it was the the sandbars and the and the tide races, or the uh, you know, the tide against the sand? Hmm. I think it's it's the constant paddling. No, the I still remember the first time um, there were small standing waves on the um, on the Goodwin sands. And I was at that point. I was yelling and laughing because I could surf on them. There was not a lot of wind. The the waves were there just due to the current. But the the, the thing is, the last part, the last twenty twenty five kilometers, when you you crossed the Goodwin Sands, then the the tide uh, the tide stream starts to pick up. I I told you it was spring tide, and you really need to push yourself to the limit even if you're exhausted just to reach the harbor of ramsgate and i think that's that's the hardest part the distance really the distance because all the rest the buoys the ships the the light vessels uh, there are some light vessels uh, over there to show the location of the treacherous uh, goodwin sands that are all good things that are all things that are in my memory that that, that i liked but the thing is, it's 17 hours non-stop. So my um, schedule was paddling for one hour, then take two minutes of break to eat and to drink, and then paddling for an hour, and, and again and again and again. And that's the hardest part, to, to keep pushing yourself to get there, to get to the other side. Like you said, uh, the mental aspect is the piece that a lot of people don't think about with long endurance events. Yeah. Yeah, and there are other things. You you get blisters on your hands that that start to hurt. Your muscles are hurting really bad, even if you're trained well enough. The the, the worst thing, the, the first year, I, I had a lot of sunscreen with me. And the only thing that really hurt, I forgot to put it over my lips. And when I reached the other side, the only thing that was really burned, that really hurt, were my lips. <laughs> So it's 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 really it's it's a mental game. It's mental, physical. It's it's draining when you. I, I had one day. I had someone who asked me, "And what's your next goal? Paddle to Ramsgate and then get back to to Belgium the next day via the same way with your kayak." And I looked at the guy. I said, "You have absolutely no clue. You have no idea." what it is such a crossing otherwise you wouldn't ask me that question when i arrive both the first and the second time when you arrive on that slipway in ramsgate you're dead you're dead yeah your body is exhausted 
And then in it's, 2015, it's, you get there and no one's there. No one's there. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Yeah, no one was there. And the, 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 second, the second time, yeah, then my wife was right on time. My kids were they, there. They, they were waving. I could see them from, from far away. And that, that, yeah, that was really an improvement of my first trip. <laughs> well, that'll certainly pick the spirits up, too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I think they heard me cursing and yelling. <laughs> <laughs> so do you carry a locator beacon with you? Yeah, um, I carry a lot of stuff with me. Um, in the beginning, certainly over here in Belgium, there were a lot of people who were, uh, who told me in my face or behind my back, what you do is it, it's really dangerous. Well, it's not. Um, you need proper training. So I already told you about self-rescues. We, we train that a lot in our team. I, I think we're we're known for that. Uh, every time we go out, we train on rescues, whether it be self-rescues or assisted rescues. That's the first thing. And then the second thing, it's, it's your equipment. It's not only to carry it with you, but also to, to know how to operate it and uh, to know how to operate it in, in a stressful situation. So yes, I carry a, a personal locator beacon with me. I also carry a VHF radio with me, and during the crossing, I had a spare one with me. Um, I carry uh, a lot of uh, pyrotechnicals with me, uh, both flares and handheld flares, so parachute flares and handheld. I'm working together with a company uh, that's called D uh, Daniamant, who makes the Odeo flare. I don't know if you have seen one, mm -hmm. but that's uh, an electronic flare. I also carry that with me. And a lot of food, a lot of drink, also uh, a paddle float, spare paddle, first aid kit. Uh, it, it's a whole list. I carry a lot of stuff. Um, in my team, we, we help each other when we get back on the beach or, or when, when we arrive at the car park. We, we help each other carry the, the kayaks to the water. Uh, all my other team members always hate it if they have to help carrying my kayak. My kayak <laughs> isn't heavy. It's what is in it that, that uh, puts up the weight. But that's what keeps you safe too. Yeah, 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 indeed, indeed. And we train a lot with it. It's, it's uh, the same for the VHF radio. We use it every time we go out because over here in, in Belgium, we have a, a good connection with the, with the Coast Guard. We make sure that every trip, no exceptions, we call in and uh, we say, okay, it's a radio check. Um, they they call, call us back. They say, okay, we can hear you. And then we say, okay, we're uh, today, for example, we are with uh, four sea kayakers. We are going to the this or that buoy uh, somewhere offshore. This is our um, point where we start. So, for example, Osteinkerke Beach, that's, that's mostly our uh, starting point. And then we, we also give them, it's not the ETA that we give, but it's the, the, last, uh, the, the last possible time of arrival. That's an extra, an extra safety built-in into our trainings. So you mentioned the team a couple of times, the North Sea Kayak team. Tell us a little bit about the team and, and what you do. Yeah, well, I told you about my um, encounter with the, the kayak club at the very beginning of my <laughs> sea kayaking career and my, my bad experience there. After a few years, when I, when I started picking up skills and all, I thought to myself and, and uh, I said, I'm not going to make the same mistake. Uh, I now have a, a lot of skills and a lot of things I know. I'm going to share it with others. And that's the, the reason why I founded the North Sea Kayak team. And by now we are in, in the 20 members now, uh, 25. My wife is also in it. She was there uh, from the beginning. We're open for all sea kayakers from Belgium. Uh, so the reason when I, when I founded this was to unite Belgian sea kayakers because there were a lot of other people with the same idea as I had in, in the beginning, but who didn't find someone to help them out. And that's what we do in our team. We paddle together, we share knowledge, uh, we make sure that we keep each other safe and that's that's why it's a team it's not a group it's not a club but it's it's really a team 
and we were mostly known for our rescue uh, techniques. We, we do that a lot, and a lot of people are having fun just by looking at our videos on our YouTube channel. We sometimes spend more time in the water than in our kayaks. <laughs> it's all have to do with, with trust. To give you an example, when we have uh, when we welcome new members, we start training with them in Newport Harbor, where uh, there's no tidal um, currents, where there are no waves. It's a bit sheltered, and we, we start by teaching them the, the basic rescue techniques, basics, paddling strokes, and then we build up. And the, the highest thing where you can build up to, um, except from a real situation, are scenarios. And we do a lot, we practice a lot of scenarios where we paddle out, for example, with, with a group of five of our team members, and nobody knows what's going to happen, but somewhere in the middle of the trip, someone capsizes, loses his kayak and is unconscious and then the rest have to to solve the problem and th that's that's the only way to to keep each other safe to, to train a lot on a, um, a lot of different scenarios and it's also fun it's not all only to keep us safe but it's also really fun oh falling out of boats and climbing back in boats there's not much more fun than that well, I, 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 do in, I did encounter people who are saying, are, are, you, are we going to train now? It's, it's winter time. The, the water is, is only five degrees. That's, that's nearly freezing. Uh, are we going to do this? And when they, they come along with us a few times, then you see the change in people, not only in their skills, not only in their confidence, but you see them smiling. The first time they're, they're not smiling, they're saying, oh no, oh my God, do I have to go in the water now? Uh, mostly it's, it's us who are smiling but after a few times it, it becomes a second nature for them and in our team for everybody on our team it's second nature we're not afraid of capsizing we're not afraid of capsizing and that's very important and when you know what's going to happen you're not afraid of the unknown yeah indeed it's, it's a water sport I do know a lot of people and, and you probably as well um, who like to sit in their kayak and don't like to get wet with us, it's the other way around. Um, sometimes when, when we go out and the conditions can be rough, um, I remember once we, we went out on a, on a downwinder, um, it was force seven, and we were only with three guys, and myself and, and two of my team members. We said, okay, and, and my two team members said to me, we're not gonna do exercises today. I said, yeah, yes, we're gonna do exercises. The waves were, pff, one meter, one meter and a half, and, and some of them even two meters. We were three kilometers offshore, and we started doing rescues. <laughs> so, and it, it went well. We, we did it in a safe way. Um, one of us stayed upright in his boat to, to look for, for other ships. There weren't any because it was too bad. <laughs> uh, and the other two started doing uh, the heel hook uh, rescue, the assisted rescue. It went well. And when we got back in the safety of the harbor, they said, okay, we're, we're glad that you pushed us because now we know that it's, it's doable. It's, it's perfectly doable uh, to perform a swift, good rescue in those conditions. So um, one other thing here out, out of curiosity. So you mentioned that you've done 2015, we've done 2018. You said you may do it again in the future. Is there anything else that's on your, your bucket list of, of big objectives that you'd like to accomplish? Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, you're not the first to ask, and I'm going <laughs> to give you the same uh, answer. You're not going to like it. Um, I never, never, no exceptions, I never talk about um, my next goals, and there's a reason for it. It's, it's certainly not to make myself more interesting. <laughs> certainly not. Um, <laughs> But it, the reason is, I sometimes, and, and my, wife's, my wife knows this, I really push myself sometimes a bit too hard. And when I'm telling other people what I'm going to do, then I have the, this thing, I, I'm, I'm, it, it, it can become dangerous for me because I'm, I really don't want to disappoint anybody then and I, I'm, I could take the wrong decision. And that's the reason why I never to anybody about the next thing but I can tell you this um, if I'm gonna do anything it's probably going to be an offshore trip I'm not sure what maybe a third North Sea crossing you never know 
maybe another offshore trip, uh, maybe a 24-hour offshore trip. And also, I have to see what the, the conditions are, are doing. Another thing that, that's on, on my bucket list, we're planning a trip to the Isle of Skye. That's, that's one of our, the things uh, we would like to do. And we certainly will go back to Ile de Breha. That's the Isle of Breha, and that's in, in France, to go out uh, rock hopping and paddling in tide races because we don't have tide races and rocks over here in Belgium. Well, whatever that next objective is, I'm certain that it will be, it will be exciting. So, yeah. uh, so how, how can listeners reach you if they have additional questions? Well, um, I like to call it our core business. Um, our, our main uh, social media channel is our YouTube channel. Um, it's the North Sea Kayak YouTube channel. You can see all of our videos starting from the very old ones back in the days to the, the newer ones. The channel is divided in a few sections. One of the sections is instructional because we really want to share our knowledge with, with other people. You can see how a self-rescue is done. You can see um, all kinds of different paddling strokes. So make sure to check out uh, the YouTube channel. We are also on, uh, on Facebook under my own name, which is Dimitri van der Poelen. And we started uh, a while ago also a channel on Instagram, also North Sea Kayak, if you're uh, looking f uh, for it. So Instagram, Facebook and YouTube. Um, these are our uh, channels where we put a lot of content on. Well, I will definitely put links to uh, to all of those in the show notes so people can catch uh, catch those. And you mentioned a couple of other resources, the Sea Kayak Performance and Ship AIS, that I'll make sure I put in the show notes as well so people have that for reference. Okay, so, thank you. So, Dimitri, one final question, that is, who else would you like to hear as a future guest on Paddling the Blue? Oh, for me, it's it's not a difficult question. It's probably the easiest question you could ask me during this interview. <laughs> I would like to hear an interview with uh, with Gordon Brown. Uh, Gordon Brown is a, a, a sea kayak coach. Uh, he was based for a very long time on the Isle of Skye, but uh, now he has moved to Canada. I never met him in person, to be honest. Uh, spoke to him a few times via social media, via Facebook, a few times via mail. Um, the reason I really like the guy is because he has um, a very good mindset. He's the author of a few very, very interesting books. He, has al he had also made some very interesting DVDs where he explains... Uh, tons of techniques uh, all sea kayak related so i really would like to hear uh, an interview with uh, with gordon brown well i will reach out to gordon and uh, see if we can get him on the show i appreciate that dimitri i, I really appreciate your your great advice to help keep people safe and to help make sure that they return safely home to their families and I really appreciate hearing about your north sea crossing trips and I'd be very interested to see what happens in the future for dimitri yeah, thank you. You're welcome. Dimitri, thank you again, and have a great evening. Yeah, you have a great evening too. It was uh, my pleasure. Thanks again. If you want to be a stronger and more efficient paddler, Power to the Paddle is packed with fitness guidance and complete descriptions, along with photos of more than 50 exercises to improve your abilities and enjoy your time on the water. The concept and exercises in this book have helped me become a better paddler, and they can make a difference for you too. The exercises in the book can help you reduce tension in your shoulders and low back, use the power of your torso to create leverage and use less energy with each stroke, use force generated from your lower body to make your paddling strokes more efficient, have the endurance to handle long days in the boat, drive through the toughest waves or white water, protect your body against common paddling injuries, and while you're at it, you might even lose a few pounds, and who wouldn't mind that? So visit paddlingexercises.com to get the book and companion DVD. Another great interview. Dimitri really is a lot of fun to talk to and talk about some crazy crossings. That was uh, pretty interesting. I really hope you'll take the time to check out his social media and pr media presence. Uh, I'm certain that you'll learn a few things. He's always on an offshore journey and always taking time to practice skills along the way. So you'll find links for Dimitri's uh, different social media presences in the show notes on paddlingtheblue.com. Our next episode is going to feature the one and only Justine Kurgenvin. Justine has so many great experiences to share, 
and she really does that well through her video series, and now we're going to get ahead, have a chance to talk to her live. She's going to be joining us to share her trip along the length of the Aleutian Island chain. Thanks again, as always, for listening, and I look forward to bringing you the next episode of Paddling the Blue. Thank you for listening to Paddling the Blue. You can subscribe to Paddling the Blue on Apple Music, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you find your favorite podcasts. Please take the time to leave us a five-star review on Apple Music. We truly appreciate the support. And you can find the show notes for this episode and other episodes, along with replays of past episodes, contact information, and more at paddlingtheblue.com. Until next time, I hope you get out and paddle the blue.